So Neil asked me to share a few thoughts with you this morning um, and I do count it a privilege to be able to share with you. Thank you, Neil, for asking. Um, there's two scripture verses that I want to read before I begin. Um, if you're taking notes, it might be helpful to jot down the references. The first one's found in Isaiah 43, verse 1. And there we read, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name, and you are mine. The second verse is found in the Gospel of John, the chapter 10, and verse 14. And there we read, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. This morning, as we begin, I want to ask you a question that I would like us to consider for a short time this morning. And that question is, what does it mean to be known? What does it mean to be known? Perhaps when I say that, you think that having a long-term connection with someone really makes you known to them. So maybe your spouse or a parent or a sibling that you grew up with, you may feel that because of that connection, you know each other pretty well. They know you, you know them. Perhaps for you, it can be love languages. If somebody communicates to you in your love language, maybe you feel really known, like they get you. They know how to reach you. They know how to love you. That must feel good. Perhaps it's when people know what your triggers are and they know how to push a button that can really set you off. They know you pretty well if they can do that. Perhaps if you have a shared experience with another person, you feel like you know each other pretty well because you've journeyed together through one common joined experience. The dictionary has a lot of definitions of being known. And one that I find really interesting was that to be known is to be specified and identified. And I think that might be helpful for us to keep in mind as we, as we discuss this this morning. What I'd like to do is answer this question and explore it with you in terms of how we relate to God and then how we relate to other people. So if we think, first of all, about our relationship to God and being known by him. The two verses that we read are just two examples out of hundreds that I could have chosen, but they intimate to us something of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So these verses tell us that we are we are called by name, that we are his. Through the finished work of salvation, we belong to him. He knows us and we know him. He is our good shepherd. And that idea and that um, type of relationship is, is repeated to us over and over again throughout the scriptures. We're encouraged with it. We're told again and again how much our Father, Heavenly Father loves us, knows us. He paid the ultimate sacrifice to bring us back into fellowship with himself. And really, he is the only one who can truly know us. So if we want to give the purest answer to this question, what does it mean to be known? The only person who can truly know, fully know and fully love us is our Heavenly Father. He is the only one who can do it perfectly. We may know that at a logical level. Maybe theologically you agree and you say, yes, absolutely, it's in scripture. I know it to be true. But sometimes when we go through valleys in our life, sometimes we can lose sight of that. We can lose that sense, that feeling of being known. It is possible that when we're going through something that's very challenging, through a time of suffering, pain, uncertainty in the world around us, 
COVID, Brexit, insecurities, anxieties, financial worries. When we go through those times in our lives, it can feel very lonely. It can be easy to lose sight of who really understands us. It can feel in those moments that no one truly knows what it's like to be you. And you are right, on, on earth, nobody has experienced life the way you have. Nobody can fully identify with what you're feeling and how you're feeling it. But our Heavenly Father can. And I think that we, we can learn a lot from Scripture. When we think about the New Testament and how much of Jesus' earthly ministry is recorded for us, I think we can learn a lot um, from his experiences and apply them to ourselves. In those accounts in the New Testament, we don't just read that Jesus came and had victory and that was it. We hear about all the bits in between. We read about Jesus feeling anger. We read that he was betrayed. We read that he suffered, he anguished, he felt alone. He felt a really heavy burden. He knew what that was like. These aspects of his life, I think, are recorded for a number of different reasons. But I would strongly argue that one of those reasons is that so we can, when, when we read that, you know, God knows our pain, that we can really believe he knows. He knows what it is to sit with whatever you're sitting with. He understands what the lead up to a painful death, to the ultimate sacrifice felt like. He took pain much greater than what we're feeling. So when we say, well, God can identify with you, he really can. I think that's there for our comfort. It's there for our reassurance that when other people perhaps don't understand what it's like for you to walk the road you're currently walking or to live with what you live with or to have memories that you have to carry that you can't get other people to understand, that he gets it um, and he still loves you. Despite you feeling that way and sitting with those things, his love for you has never diminished in that. What I think we need to take from some of this is that if we're going to say that all scripture is divine, it's God ordained, it's there for our learning. It's not just the positive stuff that we have to focus on. If we're going to say that, yes, we're going to celebrate that empty tomb, we're going to have victory. We're going to have jubilation about the resurrection. We have to read, we have to take in, and we have to go through all the suffering and all the, the tough stuff that went before that. I think that's recorded for a reason. Sometimes in life, maybe you feel, maybe you've experienced this yourself, that other people can sometimes want to bring us through to that point of celebration and victory really quickly. And there's a number of reasons for that, and we'll talk about that a little later. But if you think about um, maybe something you've went through and someone has maybe given you a really hopeful, positive verse to speak over you, but you're really going through a very difficult time and it's very hard for you to accept that when someone throws Romans 8, 28 at you, but you're heartbroken. It's very hard sometimes to take. And in that moment, you may want to say to them, that's not what I need. I don't need you to pull me through to victory. I need you to sit with me with with what I'm currently going through. And with the best will in the world, we've probably all done that to somebody at some point in our Christian journey. But what I would like to invite you to think about is that our Heavenly Father does not do that. 
He does not skip over those bits that are really hard. He's not asking you to come to him full of faith with a big holy persona quoting verses and blasting your worship music and, you know, putting your bravest face on. I believe that he's inviting you into a space with him where you can be raw and real and sit with those things that are tough, that maybe no one else knows about. Maybe people know about, but they just don't get it. You don't have to be stronger than you are when you come into that space with him. I believe that all the accounts of scripture, everything he tells us is him acknowledging and saying to us, I get it. I get the suffering. I want you to feel rest and peace in me. Come be yourself. And I truly believe that from that place where we're really fully known, our pain is known, we are known and we feel that full love, that healing and comfort can come from that place but we don't have to skip over it with our Heavenly Father. It's not a lack of faith to feel those things, it's life. And I think he invites us into that with really open arms. We don't need to hide anything from him. We don't need to hide pain or grief for fear of judgment. His love is unconditional. His acceptance of us cannot be taken away. So when we read those accounts in scripture, the really difficult parts, um, I, I invite you to think about that the next time you read them. Think about why we, we read about some of the tough stuff and what we can learn from it. There's a, a quote that reads, to be loved but not known is comforting, but it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, that is only of God. If we think then about our relationship to others in this question, I realise that I've spent the last 10 minutes telling you that only God can truly know and only God can truly love, which is true. Um, I don't think that that's a pass for us to say, well, I can't do that good of a job, so I'll not try. I believe that there is an example for us to follow in this and how we relate to each other, how we be known and how we know others. My opinion on this is that it actually is very difficult to really truly know someone for lots of different reasons. I think it's a challenging thing to do. If you think about how often you've been misunderstood in your life, um, you may have the best of intentions and someone has picked you up wrong. They have presumed something about you and misunderstood you completely. And that is really, really uncomfortable. It's like sometimes it's puzzling. You think, what have I done? How could they misunderstood this? I must misunderstand this. Um, it's, it's complicated. Relationships with people are complicated. But it's painful. It is painful to be misunderstood, especially if you're in the person who's perhaps going through something through a valley or really needing encouragement and you're being misunderstood. There's a, a short excerpt from a book that I want to read to you. It's from a book that the ladies are using at the minute in, um, in our prayer time to aid our prayer time. And it's about this concept of being misunderstood and really receiving empathy. The book reads, there are few things as painful as being misunderstood. True empathy is a nearly impossible endeavour. It's neither easy nor comfortable to step into another's experience. Part of this is because of our human limitations. We don't understand the roads we haven't walked. But, to be blunt, Sometimes we don't, we don't understand simply because we don't want to. 
We don't want to sacrifice the time that it takes to listen. And we don't want to share another's pain and pay the price of knowing. That sounded really harsh when I read it, but it's exactly what I, I want to learn. I want to take this to heart and I, I feel like I want to share it with you this morning. If I can invite you to cast your mind back to um, last week when Neil introduced us to that concept of compassion and the idea of entering into someone else's suffering with them. He drew our attention to that from the original Latin text. And I really feel that this morning I'd like to, us just to go a little further on that thought. Neil challenged us that perhaps our our capacity and our willingness to enter into that suffering was because of our impatience. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think we're impatient people. We live in an impatient culture. But if we if we acknowledge that and we say, yes, there's a part of that in me, I'm sure there's a part of that in all of you. What can we do about that? How can we go a little further? And what I'd like to share with you is some ideas, some thoughts I have on how I want to change that, how I want to go a little further to show that biblical compassion of entering into that suffering or entering in with whatever a person is going through to truly know them at a deeper level. These might be helpful. I would love to know some of your ideas as well. Um, the first thing I think, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself before any of you, is that we need to take off our capes. We need to take off our rescuer badge, you know, our hero crown. We need to gently set them aside. They may be well-meaning, but they're not useful in this sense of knowing someone. The purpose of knowing another person, I believe, isn't to save them. It's to point them to the one who can save. The goal is not to make them feel better because you know them and then consequently feel better about yourself. The goal is to walk with them through whatever it may be that they're going through. And it might be something really difficult and really uncomfortable. That will come at a sacrifice to ourselves. If we think back a little earlier, I know that I'm asking you to remember a lot of stuff, but think back a few weeks ago when on a Sunday morning we talked about that idea of stability and being rooted. And when we explored that concept of stability, we discovered that there's a lot of power in that because in that stability of being in one place within our community, we can go a little deeper. We can go, go from being on the surface to going a little deeper and really reaching out to help in a purposeful way. And we thought about the concept of being rooted and on that morning, Neil drew our attention to that idea of being rooted means paying attention to those around us. Sometimes it means sacrifice and it definitely requires patience. When we are paying attention because we're rooted in our community, in our church family, in whatever bubble you're in, when you're rooted and you're paying attention, you can truly learn a lot about a person. You can know them at a deeper level. And I really believe that that's what we're called to do. Because when we know someone, we can enter in with them with compassion, enter into what they're going through. And it may be the joyful things, it may be the tough things, but it's not in a way to step into their life, it's to come alongside. And I think we, we need to understand the difference. I would also suggest that as a general rule, we need to talk less and listen more. We've talked before on Sunday mornings about how to listen. Um, we shouldn't be listening to respond. We should be listening to understand. That's a skill in itself. 
but I think we can all work on that. If we are privileged enough to be walking with someone on a journey, especially if it's a tough journey and it's a tough thing for them, we need to make sure that the lens that we're looking through um, is the right one. So by this, I mean, if you think of a, a, like a, a camera with lenses that interchange for different things, I want to suggest to you that your, your lens and my lens needs to be compassion focused and not solution focused. They're actually both types of therapy and I'm taking them a little out of context this morning, but it's to help our understanding. That really helps me to think when I look at someone going through something tough, difficult, walking a tough journey, my natural reaction is to be solution focused. I want to get a list out. I want to make a plan. I want to find a way to feed them and make a rota and I want to step in with a solution. Um, but really what I believe we're called to do is to put that compassion focused lens on the compassion that we talked about last week, meaning to truly enter in with them in what they're going through and walk with them. And that idea of changing a lens is very helpful. I find it very helpful. Hopefully that's useful to you. I would also say in a very really gentle and humble way that I do believe that relationships are more important than resources. And what I mean by this is I don't mean the physical resources that we need for living. So I do believe that if someone doesn't have somewhere to live or something to eat, we are called to step in. We are called to give of ourselves. We're called to serve. I do believe that. But after that point, I think that it's easier sometimes for us to throw things at people to resource them than it is to build relationship. But it's really the relationship they need. Maybe if you can think about someone in your life who had influence over you. Um, or maybe still does, maybe a mentor, a teacher, a pastor, a doctor, someone who you really needed something from. And there is the opportunity in that to build relationship. Think about how much easier it was for you to take resources, to take advice, to really take to heart what they say when the relationship was already built. It's a lot easier when that relationship is there. And I believe that part of knowing someone is working on that part of your relationship that you're walking with them. They don't, you're not just passing them resources to make yourself feel better. I would also, again, very humbly and, and in no way judging, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here, but I would urge everyone to be so careful of how we share verses, how we share songs, how we share encouragement with people um, who are going through something tough. Um, I've, I've said before, and I think I've, I've talked before to the church family about this, that sometimes when we're going through a difficult thing, that someone saying all things work together for good um, can be actually really hurtful. And that's not to say that we don't believe in those scriptures, we do, but we believe we need wisdom and discernment. Because whenever we do that, whenever someone, for example, um, you know, is going through a difficult time, and we say, well, you know, all things work together for good. And you know what? It will be okay. Look at how blessed you are. Let's count your blessings, you know, and you, you sing the song and, and they want to pull you through to victory. They want to pull you through to that empty tomb moment. But really what that other person is hearing is I don't want to enter into this uncomfortable bit because that's too painful for me. I want to pull you on and we'll celebrate together. But that's not what they need. And I'm speaking to myself, we've all like we've all done this. I don't think there's anybody who could say that they've never done this. Um, we need to be more mindful of it, of what that person really needs. Um, there's a way to, of course, bring our faith 
and bring um, the goodness of God and to think about the good things without um, making that person feel bad and shamed for feeling pretty awful about a pretty awful situation. The last suggestion I would have is that this idea of knowing someone doesn't have to just be when they go through a difficult time. I think it's something we should be working on all the time in the good and the bad times. I think it's something we should call out when we're really rooted. And if we're, we're, if we're going biblical with it, we're saying rooted as in paying attention to people around us. We're going to notice stuff. We're going to get to know them as a person, how they experience things, how circumstances affect them. When you notice that and you want to show someone that you really do know them, you need to call those things out. Um, not in a way to flatter them, but in a way to let them know that I see you, I see what you're going through, I admire you, I want to encourage you, I notice you. And I suppose it's a bit like a love language where you're communicating in a way that's meaningful and you know not at that superficial level. So I would suggest that this is something to be done privately. While there's always time for public praise and, and that's good and there is a time for that, I think on an intimate one-on-one -on -one level, when you really communicate to someone that you notice what they're doing, you notice what they're trying to achieve, you notice what they're facing and that they are keeping going, calling that out and you know, offering a listening ear and really acknowledging them is so powerful. It can be so, so effective. Um, and you know that again takes time, it takes time to notice people. You know, how often in a week do you say, how are you to people? But you're walking, you know, you keep walking as you ask it. You want them to say, fine, all good, how's you? It takes a moment to step back and really listen. Um, and if that person knows that you're, you've noticed them and you've paid attention to them, they may be more likely to be honest with you and say, actually, it's really tough at the minute. It's really hard. And to know you're not going to sweep in and say, oh, wow, let's get a prayer group together and pray over you and get some positivity going. That they're going to sit and say, okay, What's it like for you? Can I do anything? And let them take the lead. That's a humble suggestion. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to all of you this morning. I hope that some of those suggestions are helpful. I would sum up by just saying again, I want to encourage you that our Heavenly Father really does truly know and love you. He has a space ready for you that you do not have to come prepared for. You don't have to be polished up to come in. You don't have to have a fake persona. You can come as you are, feel what you feel, and he's waiting there and creating that space for you. I really want to encourage you that when we think about the resurrection, about the victory, the joy that is at that empty tomb, that we won't skip over the pain and the suffering that went before. They have to be paired together. And I really hope that I can and that you can all, we can all increase our effort to really know in the biblical sense one another, that we would be able to walk with those on different journeys um, and that it would all bring glory to God um, and that he would be pleased with us in everything that we do. Thank you so much for allowing me to share.